Well, if you have your Bible today, and I hope you do, would you please open to Matthew chapter 9? Matthew chapter 9. If I don't miss my guess, you can relate. Uh, the other day I was feeling discouraged and uh, was just uh, kind of scrolling through social media, and uh, I ran across a 2020 meme that made me literally laugh out loud. Now, do you all know what a meme is? My kids are rolling my eyes like, of course, Dad, we know what a meme is, but, but probably everybody does it. So here's the deal with a meme. A meme is usually a picture with some kind of tagline attached to it. And what the meme does is it plays on, it uses pop culture or uses humor to connect to kind of a shared experience, something that everybody is feeling. So, so this is a meme, kind of like a comic strip of old, um, but with less of a story to tell, more just like connecting into this, this shared experience that we have. So we have a sense that somebody else gets me, somebody else feels what I'm feeling. So I was, I was looking at some memes and, and there are a ton of funny 2020 memes out there. Sometimes you can roll your eyes, you go, oh, that's so true. And sometimes like on this particular day where I was discouraged, they just make you laugh, which, you know, is sometimes just what we need. Let's, let's look at a few memes together just for the fun of it. Let me show you how memes work. Um, if you're listening online, I'm just going to read them. This one says 2020 is a unique leap year. It has 29 days in February, 300 days in March, and five years in April. Do you remember the stay-at-home days? Did it feel like that was about true? Okay, so some of you are going, yeah, that's like three months ago, Pastor Earl. Come on, man, get with the times. Let's look at the next one. So this one is playing on pop culture. Uh, a more recent one on the left, it's a picture of Michael Scott from the TV show The Office, and a, a time travel appears and says, what time is it? And, and uh, you know, the, the person reading the meme replies, 2020, and the time traveler makes this scared, weird, like, oh no, this isn't a good thing face. Or on the right side, it's pop culture, but it's older, but still what people connect with. So it says, you know, this is the grandson and the grandfather from the movie The, uh, uh, the Princess Bride. It says, waking up every morning in 2020 is like, let's see, where were we? And then you can't, it's cut off, you can't see it, but it says, oh yes, the pits of despair. <laughs> so there's some good memes out there. Let's look at a couple more. This is a, oh, this is pop culture that everybody loves to hate. Matthew McConaughey is one of those guys that nobody likes. I mean, I don't know why nobody likes him, but you know, in pop culture, nobody likes him. He's an actor. Here on the left, a picture of him from one of his high-end car commercials. It's labeled January 1st, 2020. Here on the right, this is also him from a movie called um, The Dallas Buyers Club, where he's emaciated and, and just looks horrible. And it says June 9th, 2020. Can you relate to that? I mean, that feels like what, this is what this year has been like. Um, so what memes do is they connect us, you know, they, they play on a common experience, uh, not always using pop culture though, let's go to the next one. Um, these are two different memes, the, the nice one, the, the left one says, ah yes, a nice cup of 2020, and you see as the guy's drinking it, the little bunny ears are poking him in the eyes. We get it, right? Or the right one, if 2020 was a, a bag of chips, this is Lay's new flavor, uh, you know, fictitious flavor, orange juice and toothpaste. I mean, that's just, this is what our year has been. Uh, they, 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 they connect, memes connect this common experience. Who hasn't felt, as we go to the next one, who hasn't felt like that at any point now, Billy Mays, the Oxyclean infomercial guy, is going to stand up and say, but wait, there's more. I mean, doesn't it feel like that every time the governor is going to have an announcement or you read an article about the Elkhart County commissioners making, it's like, okay, stop already. We don't want more. You can have my credit card. Just make it stop. Just a couple more here. 
Uh, one more. Who hasn't felt like this toddler? On the top, it says June 2020. The toddler splayed across the stairs saying, what's next? Who hasn't felt like that? Is this ever going to end? Are we ever going to be done with this? What is going to be the next thing? I, 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 don't, I don't know how you're feeling about 2020. There was some laughter during that, so probably some of these connected. But as I look at what, what's happened over the course of the last you know, six and a half months now and, and what's projected to happen, I get this feeling that this coronavirus, this global pandemic, is going to be for this generation what every generation experiences at least one iteration of. That life-altering, trajectory-changing event. You know, it's the Vietnam War. It's, the, uh, it's World War II. It's these, you know, it's 9-11. It's these things that intersect our culture we have very little control over, and it forever changes the way that we, that we see the world, that we experience the world, that we, that we do certain things. I think that's what this has been and will continue to become one of those generation life-altering events. And so as followers of Christ, as we endure this season, I would suggest that one of the questions we need to ask is, what does God want to do in me and through me? What does God want to do in us as a, as a church and through us in the midst of this season? which as of yet doesn't have an end. We may, we may be in the middle of it. We may still be in the first third, or we could be at the tail end. We just don't know at this point. But the question is, what is God wanting to do in me, in us, and through us? Or, or if we're to, uh, to think through the filter of this sermon series we've been in, we may ask, what is it that God wants me to be praying through this season of transition, this season that's going to bring us into a, a different way of seeing and doing things, but we don't know what that is yet. How, how does God want me to be praying? Well, I think actually scripture has some answers, some suggestions on that question. You see, today's prayer comes out of a passage, Matthew 9, the verses we're going to read. This is a passage that is much like the days in which we live. It's a transitionary passage. Matthew writes these four, four verses that we're going to look at as a transition from what was in Jesus' ministry to what is becoming in Jesus' ministry. And what's curious is as Matthew writes this passage, as he summarizes what was, he then puts or he reminds us of what Jesus said to give us a hint at what will be. And so the prayer we're going to read today is actually Jesus telling us how we should pray in these transitional moments in life. These times in life where we, we think we understand what has been, we're not sure where we're at, and we're not sure what's coming, but we know that this is a season of change. This is a time of transition. The prayer we're going to look at today is Jesus telling us how to pray in the midst of that. Now that's where this sermon breaks pattern with the other sermons in this series, right? We've been looking at prayers that other people who encountered Jesus prayed to him, right? Uh, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Lord, save me. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Well, today isn't a prayer that someone prays to Jesus, but today we're going to look at a prayer that Jesus says to us as his believers, pray this prayer. Say these words. Pray in this way. At, in, in times like this in life, because this is God's will for you. 
Now that makes this prayer an interesting one. That makes this prayer an unusual one, actually. Stop for a minute. Can you think of other times in the gospel where Jesus instructed us, pray this? I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about prayer in Jesus over the course of the last year, and, and we've learned a lot from Jesus about prayer. We've, we've watched him, how he prayed. Uh, we've watched how he interacted with people who, who were praying to him or crying out for help. But there's only two places in the gospel that I can find where Jesus says, I want you to pray this. One, of course, is the Lord's Prayer, and we still pray that prayer to this day, Right? And the other is this passage in Matthew 9, where Jesus says, I want you to pray this. So that makes this a, a very important passage. And what I'd like, for, like to invite you to do is to uh, uh, follow along with me as I read from Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to start reading in verse 35. Matthew writes, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Let's just pause for a minute. You got to understand, as you think about ministry, especially churches and groups doing ministry, there's a valuable two-prong approach here. You can't be, we can't be a church that just focuses on teaching and preaching, just telling people how to live. That's one prong, and it's important. But you'll notice Jesus' ministry had the other prong. He wasn't just teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, but he was healing every kind of disease and sickness. You also can't be a ministry that is just about good works, that is just about feeding people and healing people and educating people and helping people. You have to do that. But this without the gospel is pointless eternally. And the teaching and preaching without meeting the needs is also just as pointless because people need to hear and they need to see the good news of Jesus Christ. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And here's here's the prayer. Verse 38, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. What's so beautiful about this passage, what makes it a a perfect prayer to end this series on, is that Jesus doesn't just tell us what to pray, but he also shows us how to pray it. Okay? Uh, the, the, this, is, this is a perfect passage to look at in the season that we're in because notice, notice what Jesus saw as he interacted with people. He said, Jesus looked at the crowds and he saw that they were, what are the two words? They start with an H, harassed and helpless. These are interesting words, harassed and, and helpless. Harassed comes from a, a Greek word that, that communicates a sense of being distressed, of, of not having peace. You, you look around and there's no satis- I can't get no satisfaction. And I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. I mean, it's just, it's this, it's this sense that there's nothing right. There's, there's, is this thing ever going to end? When are things going to go back to the way they used to be? How am I supposed to understand and enjoy life? There's no peace, there's no satisfaction, and everywhere I look today, 
This is what I see. I see distressed people. I see it in our church. I see it in our community. I see it in my own home. And certainly we see it in our nation. We're distressed about everything. We're distressed because now we have to wear masks when we go to the store. We're distressed because all we hear is reports of police brutality and and minorities being abused. We're distressed because we see major cities dismantling their police forces. And and we watch the news and we see lawlessness in the street under the guise of of protest. We're, We're distressed because we can't see each other and hang out like we used to. We can't do cookouts. We can't do pool parties. We can't do game nights. And this is driving us crazy. And, and we're distressed because it, it feels like everywhere we go, am I going to pick up the virus and not know it? Am I going to spread it to other people? We're, we're distressed as we look around our church, our community, our culture. Everybody's distressed. It doesn't matter what side of the issues you come down on. It doesn't matter if you're pro-mask or anti-mask. It doesn't matter how you feel about any global issue right now. We're all distressed. There is no peace. There is no satisfaction. Jesus looked at the people and he saw that they were harassed. They were distressed. They were, uh, they were helpless, Matthew writes. This is, this is a... a a, a word that comes from a verb that means to cast down. And I suspect I'm not the only one in the room who's been downcast lately. It seems more and more like my prayer is the prayer of King David. Why, my soul, are you so downcast within me? Why are you so disturbed? I guess it's not really hard these days to figure out why my soul is downcast. But what I can't figure out is why the things that I usually do to discourage or to encourage myself aren't working. And I have a sense that as we look across our community, our culture, our church, there's a lot of people who have that same experience. I'm just downcast. I'm just discouraged. We were, some of us were talking before church today and someone said, I'm just fed up of being fed up. That's where we're at. Jesus looked at the people. He looked across the culture, across the community, across those who were interacting with him. And he said, people are harassed and helpless. They're distressed and they're downcast. And in the midst of that, Jesus models for us how to pray. It actually gives us a specific prayer that he wants us to pray. Now remember what we've been learning about prayer. Prayer is about aligning our hearts with God's heart. It's not about saying things a certain way, right? Uh, It's more about having a right heart and allowing God to shape and mold that heart than it is about learning or saying or repeating the right words. So prayer is a posture. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a connection, a relationship with God more than it is just rote recitation. And, and so what I want you to see here is what Matthew describes for us. He, he tells us, he shows us Jesus's heart. He, he shows us Jesus's posture, even as Jesus tells us what words we should be praying in a situation like this. Matthew uses two verbs to give us Jesus's heart condition, his posture. He said, first of all, Matthew said, Jesus saw the people, right? Jesus saw the people, verse 36. Now, what's interesting here is we don't have these verses. 
the, the content of these verses is, means nothing, is nothing, unless Jesus sees the people. Unless Jesus has the ability to not only look out over culture in general, but, but also in his interpersonal interactions and see and feel what's going on with people. He, because he's able to look at them and feel their distress and feel their downcast, to understand that they're harassed and kind of taste some of that himself, what we have here doesn't really happen. But when Jesus sees people, as Matthew tells us, Jesus feels their pain. He feels their distress. He feels downcast alongside them. And I'll, I'll just, I don't know how Jesus does that. Now, some of you do. Some of you are like, I totally get it, but, but not me. I'm the kind of guy that I find it very difficult to connect with people on that level. It's not that I don't care. It's not that I don't try. I just find it hard to feel what people are feeling. So the other night, Sarah and I are laying in bed, and we're talking about something that's very important to both of us. This, this for us, is a significant matter. As we're having this conversation, I'm very much in logic mode. I'm like, okay, we can talk about this. We can figure out what we're going to do. We can weigh the pros. We can weigh the cons. We can figure out how we're going to deal with any you know, negative ramifications that come either way. And then we can make a decision, right? I mean, like, let's do this thing. What, this, we'll take the time and we'll figure it out. And I, I thought that's the kind of conversation we were having, this very kind of logical approach. And then all of a sudden, and I've, and I've approved this story with my wife, all of a sudden... Sarah just starts crying. And I knew that I hadn't, I didn't think I'd done anything to make her cry. I, I, I do that from time to time, so I know what that feels like. But I didn't think I had this time. And so I just, I just looked at her and I said, honey, what about this has got you so worried, so concerned, so scared that you're in tears? I couldn't feel it. Like, I couldn't see where she was coming from. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't feel her concern the way that she felt it. Now, believe me, I thank God that some of us in this room are not at all like me. I praise God that there's people in this room and, and online who are part of our church who, um, you know, who are, are less logical and more intuitive you know, you're less thinker and you're more feeler. And I praise God for that. The, the, the body of Christ needs that. We, we need people with a different temperament. We need people who can easily look at someone. They don't even have to say anything. And they can go, oh my goodness, they're feeling so heavy and hurt and, and sad. We, we need those kinds of people in the body. I praise God that he's given people that gifts. And that's what Jesus models for us here. He models the ability to do everything we can to feel what people are feeling, to connect with people on an emotional level, to feel their mistrust, to feel their hurt, to feel their anger, to do, to do everything we can to put ourselves in their shoes and, and, and you know, walk a mile in their shoes, to, to see the world through their lenses. That's what Jesus did here. Jesus saw the people. He saw that they were harassed and helpless. 
And then what's the second thing that Matthew tells us Jesus did that gives us a hint at his posture and prayer? It says Jesus showed compassion to the people. Jesus showed compassion to the people. We talked a little bit about this word last week. I told you it comes from a Greek word that, that means like intestines or bowels. It's this sense that we feel people's pain from the deepest part of our being. We might say from the bottom of our heart, but in, in their culture, in their language, it was even deeper than the heart, right? It's like, oh, it's this thing down here that just grips you and, and you feel it and, you, and it and it won't let you go. This, this verb that Matthew uses here is only used about a dozen times in the New Testament, and it's always in the Gospels. And as we read in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, as Matthew tells the story of the life of Jesus, every time he uses this verb to show compassion, it's not feeling-oriented, it's action-oriented. It's not just that someone felt pity or realized that someone else was sad or harassed and helpless, but the compassion was being moved to do something about it. In Matthew's story, it sounds like this. He, he healed their sick. That's the compassion that, that Jesus showed to the people. He healed their sick. He fed them. That comes from the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus had compassion on the people because he'd been going on a long time and they were hungry. And so he did something about it. He, he got them some food. He made sure that they were fed. Matthew uh, uses it in a parable that Jesus tells, and, and in that, the compassion was that a debt was canceled and a servant was released or set free from his burden. He uh, healed a blind man because he saw the, Jesus saw the blind man, had compassion on him, and had to do something about it. You see, compassion is an active verb. It, it moves us to do something. And this is where, again, we need the body of Christ, right? We need the people with the temperament that's more towards, you know, intuition and feeling, who can, who can feel people's distress, who can connect with people on that level. But we need, the, we need the people who move us to action. The people who say, okay, let's do something. Let's, let's move in this direction. Let's meet that need. Let's address that issue. It's not enough just to sit and feel sad with other people. I mean, there's a time for that. But we got to move to where we do something with it. It's not enough just to say, I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm overwhelmed, I'm, I'm tired, I'm thrilled, I'm excited, I, uh, I'm too busy, and then be willing to do anything but talk about it or feel it. In the body of Christ, we have to move to action. We need to see the people. We need to have compassion on them. We need both the heart and the head. We need both intuition and the drive and the logic. And so what does Jesus do in this case? He sees the people. He has compassion on them. And the action that he takes is to look to his followers and say, you need to be praying this prayer. You need to be praying this prayer. Prayer is no passive thing. Prayer isn't something that we just do when we've tried everything else and it hasn't worked. Prayer isn't a last-ditch effort. Prayer isn't, well, I guess I can pray about it. For Jesus, prayer is action. It is doing something to address what's happening. And notice the words that Jesus tells us to pray. Notice the prayer that he instructs us to pray again. Verse 38, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, because there's so much need. 
Because the harvest is plentiful and there's no one to work the harvest. Because people are harassed and helpless, distressed and downcast. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. This is the prayer. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest field. Notice two things Jesus told us to pray. First of all, he told us who to ask. Who are we supposed to ask? It's right here in verse 38. Say it loud or type it on your, uh, on your keyboard. Ask the Lord of the harvest. That's right, the Lord of the harvest. This word Lord isn't new to us, right? We've encountered it all through Scripture. And we, as followers of Christ, as Christians, we hear the word Lord and we rightfully think of Jesus Christ. We continue to grow in our understanding and our life commitment to say, I'm not just a Christian. I'm not just someone who goes to church. I'm someone who is allowing Jesus to be my Lord. He's in control. He owns my heart. He dictates my behavior. He tells me what to do and what not to do. He, he corrects my thoughts. We've said this time and time again. When, when, when you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he's not just wanting to be an add-on to your life. Jesus doesn't just come into your heart to be a resident. When you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he needs to be, he wants to be, he will accept nothing less than being president. He doesn't just reside in our lives, he presides over them. This word Lord is not new to us. But notice what Jesus does. He says to pray to the Lord of the harvest, not to whom is Jesus referring when he says this. He's, he's talking about God the Father. Okay, but stick with the metaphor. If God the Father is Lord of the harvest, what does that tell us about where we're working? Who owns the harvest field? The Lord of the harvest, right? The one who's in charge. And so if it's his harvest field, whose fruit or, or whatever's coming out of the field, to whom does it belong? To whom does the harvest belong? You can say it out loud, it's okay. The Lord, there's people watching online and they think I'm preaching to empty pews. Will you please show them wrong? So let's try this again, okay? So <clears throat> to whom does what comes out of the harvest field belong? To the, oh wow, fantastic, to the Lord of the harvest, that's right. So the field is his, the harvest is his. And so everything that needs to happen to produce a harvest is whose responsibility? The Lord of the harvest. He's the one who provides the seed. He's the one who provides the rain. He's the one who provides the sunshine. He's the one who needs to keep the, uh, you know, the, the, the bugs away. He's, it's his harvest, and he's cool with that. He's got the shoulders to deal with that. Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest. Remember, it's not our harvest field. If we're working in his harvest field, we don't get to call the shots. We don't do uh, the work the way that we want to. It's not up to us to decide what kind of ministry needs to be done in what way. I mean, the Lord of the harvest works with us. We have a voice in it. But ultimately, it's his decision. 
It's not that we're passive. It's not that we just sit around waiting for the Lord of the harvest to, to do uh, his work. He's, he's employed us. He's called us into his fields to, to work them. But we have to remember whose field it is. We don't call the shots. We do things the way he wants it done. Everything is his. And we need to work according to his provision and, and his desire. And in this case, we know that the Lord of the harvest desires that we would ask for something. What does Jesus, when he tells us to pray this, what does he tell us to ask? Send help, please. Send help. We need help. Send someone to help. Now, as I was studying this verse, this, this, uh, this, this specific prayer, send, ask Lord of the harvest to send workers to send. I was studying that word and what it means. I mean, it seems pretty obvious, right? Like we send, we send letters through the mail. We send text messages. We, we kind of get what the word send means. What's interesting here is that there's a little more packed into this word. And the image that kept coming to my mind was from uh, a movie with uh, Denzel Washington, a football team, um, yeah, remember the Titans. That's the one. Remember the Titans. It's a, it's a story of the school in the 60s that was integrating racially, and Denzel is brought in to coach the football team, right? It's a sports movie. If you don't like sports, bear with me, but believe me, you could watch this movie. It's not all about the football. You'll be in tears. Um, so if you don't like sports, I encourage you to watch the movie. But at one point, they're, they're, they're marching through the season and the postseason, and there's a player who's been benched because of his bad attitude. He forgot whose football field he was playing on, right? He thought he owned the field, and, and Denzel's character owned the field. He was the coach. And so at one point, they're in this game. It's coming down to the last minutes. If something doesn't change, they're going to lose, the Titans are. And so he calls up this running back, and he calls him over, and uh, you know the, the guy puts his helmet on, and he, he like pulls him in close, and he tells him to play, and gives him some other instructions, and he smacks him on the shoulder pad, and whacks him on the backside, and sends him out into the field. And the guy runs out onto the field, not just with the play, but with like a new fire for the other players on the team. Like something shifts just like that, and they start winning the game. This is what Jesus is saying here. Ask the Lord of the harvest, not just to send more people, but to fire up the people who are already working in the harvest field. Ask the Lord of the harvest to give us a new passion, a new vision, a new desire to, to, to see the people who are harassed and helpless, to see the needs that we too quickly overlook because they're not our needs. Ask the Lord of the harvest to, to, to move us from seeing to doing something about it. Ask the Lord of the, the harvest to send workers isn't just about fresh blood. It's not just about new people. It's not just about more hands to help. It's asking the Lord of the harvest to send uh, a renewed vigor and compassion, or passion and compassion and, 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 and a fresh wind so that those who are already laboring, already working, can have what they need to work in the harvest field the way that God wants. Jesus said, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Now remember, prayer is not about saying the right words. It's about aligning my heart 
with God's heart. It's about reshaping who I am and how I feel to match who God is and how God feels. So while Jesus says, pray this prayer, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field, he's not giving us like a, a prayer to recite, okay? There's nothing wrong with saying this prayer. I believe God is pleased when we pray scripture back to him. But what Jesus is doing is giving us a framework, a way to pray in a way that pleases the Father, in the way that the Lord of the harvest hears and resonates with and wants to respond to. So what I want to do as we wrap up today is, is I want to think about this prayer and maybe just make a few suggestions of other ways that we can have the same heart and we can verbalize this prayer. We can pray with different words, the same prayer Jesus is telling us to pray. Let me just offer a few suggestions. First of all, Father, please help me to feel people's needs and to do something about it. Father, please help me to feel people's needs and help me to do something about it. Please help me to see people and have compassion on them. And I, I don't know where on the spectrum you are. My, my guess is that all of us have like a different part of that prayer we need to emphasize. For me, I've already, I've already said, those of you who know me, you would definitely say, Pastor Earl, you need to be praying down on this end, that, that you would have the ability to better see and feel what people are feeling. And that's true. That is, that is how I need to pray. And that's how I continue to pray. Father, please help me to understand what they can't verbalize. Father, please help me to, uh, to have empathy for what they're feeling. Father, please you know, give me a bigger heart that understands. Some of us probably need to be on the other end, though, praying, Father, please help me to do something about it. Father, please move me to action. Father, please help me to understand what steps I can take to, to meet these needs. After I've sat with them and, and felt them and they know that they're loved and accepted, how do we, how do we move them in the way that you want to go? How do, I, how do I do something to provide, to address for the, you know, these needs, to, to point them back to Jesus Christ? Part of what Jesus models for us in praying this prayer is that we would see people and we'd have compassion on them. We'd hear them and then we'd do something for God's glory about it. Another way to pray this prayer, another you know, words to put to it is, Father, send me or bring them. Father, send me or bring them. So over the course of the last little more than a year, um, I've, I've been having more and more couples contact me. They find me online and they contact me and say, um, would you be involved in our wedding? Would you officiate our marriage? Would you marry us? And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've just kind of felt for the last several years that, that this is one opportunity the Lord gives me, he's equipped me, that I can, I can be in people's lives in an important time, um, whether they're Christians or not, and I can do the Lord's work. So some, sometimes I go into that field, if you will, that, that opportunity to perform a wedding ceremony, and I realize, look, all I'm doing here is planting seeds, or maybe I'm pulling weeds, showing that all Christians, all preachers aren't, you know, whatever perceptions they have. I, I, I've understood for, for a while now that God sends me into different fields for different reasons, and my goal is just to be, has been to be faithful. But uh, over the last little more than a year or so, maybe it's been a couple years, I started to feel like I'm willing to do that, Father. Lord of the harvest, I'm willing to do that. 
I'd also like to maybe do some harvesting. Like, I'd like to have the chance to, to lead people into a relationship with you or a renewed relationship. Uh, so would you bring me people who are looking for more than just a wedding officiant? Could you, could you maybe bring me couples, Father, who uh, don't just need me to help them tie the knot, but would allow me to speak into other parts of it, would, would allow me to do some premarital counseling with them, would, uh, would perhaps... Um, you know, allow our church to begin to shape their life. And, and wouldn't you know it, over the, the course of the last few months, God's brought me at least three couples, maybe four, who were saying, we want you to marry us, but we want you to do more than that. So I had one couple I was meeting with. <laughs> they contacted me, they emailed me, and um, they said, you know, here's who we are, here's what we're doing, would you, would you be willing to do our wedding? I said, well, let's sit down and talk about it. You see, with this prayer, Father, bring them to me, I've been more picky. I want to make sure that I have a chance to speak into people's lives. So this couple comes in, and, and I don't know them from Adam. I, I, don't, I, I don't think I've ever met them. And they sit down, and, and we're talking, and I say, tell me about you, know, you guys and how you met. And, and they have a child together, and, and they say, and he comes here to Life Preschool. I'm going, what? They said, we didn't even think about you when we were looking for a wedding fishing until we saw you online. And then they said, do you remember that time when you told that story about going to the Apple store and how you got so frustrated with them? And I was going, you were here for the last life, uh, life preschool Sunday? Like, and so I start to talk to them about premarital counseling, and I'm, I'm giving my little spiel for why, why they should do this, why every couple should do premarital counseling. And the guy cuts me off, and he's like, look, man, we trust you. If you think we should do it, we'll do it. When can we do our first session? I'm going, I don't know why I'm sitting there with my jaw, like trying to scoop it off the table. This is what I've been praying, right? God, bring me people who will allow me to speak into their lives, you know, that, that you can speak to through me. What would happen if you were to start praying like that? What would happen if you were to start praying, Father, bring me a coworker, bring me a supervisor, bring me a neighbor, bring me a, a barista, bring me, bring me someone who's ready for the harvest, who, who's ready to hear more from you through me. Or, or Father, would you lead me as, as we get ready to move, would you lead me to a new neighborhood? Or, or as, I'm, as I'm needing to look for a new job, would you lead me to a, a workplace? Would you, would you lead me to a classroom or a team where I could perhaps reap some of your harvest. Let me suggest another way we could pray this prayer in different words. Father, please bring Beulah, the harvest, and the harvesters. Father, please bring to us the people who are ready for harvest, and please bring us people who are ready to help us do the harvesting. You've heard me say before, there are people in our congregation who are praying this prayer. Lord, bring us the people we need to do the mission you've given us. That's people who are ready to take their next steps with Jesus, and that's people who are, uh, who are already taking their next steps with Jesus and are ready to, to help us us, you know, as we continue to make disciples of Jesus Christ, as we continue to form big Christians, this, the idea of this prayer isn't that we get to, you know, grab a, a non-alcoholic pina colada, kick our feet up and let someone else do the work. We're not asking God to make it easy on us by just bringing to us everything we need. But we're saying, Father, we're a, we're a finite group of people. We have strengths and we have weaknesses and we need help. We need, we need you to help us identify in whom you're working and where we can partner. We, we need people who are ready to help us get out and go. We need, we need you to bring some people to us who can help us in the harvest field. Send help! One last suggestion. Father, please renew our compassion for the lost. 
Father, please renew our compassion for the lost. I guess the one I just said is kind of about God bringing him to us. But this prayer is, Father, would you help us to want to go out? Father, would you stir in people's hearts who are part of our congregation a desire to go into the community, to go into Wildwood Estates? Would you, would you raise up people who would have a, a, an excitement and a passion in other ways to go into our community and, and serve and meet needs that are present throughout our community? And there's all kinds of them. But would you raise up people in our congregation to do that? Father, would you... Uh, would you help us to know how to meet those needs? Would you, would you provoke us to look past our own wants and needs, our own concerns about the virus, our own uh, you know, comfort, and to do something about the hurting lost all around us? One of the most beautiful parts of this passage in Matthew chapter 9 is that even as Jesus tells us what to pray, he gives us hope. He tells us the good news, right? The harvest is plentiful. There are people all around us here in your neighborhoods, in the, in the church building's neighborhood, where you work, where you shop. There's people all around us who are ready. God's working in them already. Because God so loves the world, because Jesus saw that people were harassed and helpless, because the Holy Spirit has been called, has been sent to, to draw people to God, there are people all around us who are ready. Someone just needs to step in and to partner with God and what he's doing. The question is, will we pray that prayer? Will we ask God to send help? And will we be willing to be the answer to our prayer? That's a beautiful thing about Matthew right here. He ends chapter 9 and rolls right into chapter 10. He said, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. And then verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out. Are you willing to pray the prayer, Lord, send help? And then are you willing to be the answer to your prayer as God helps you to see people and do something about it, as God sends you and stirs up in you a new way, a new compassion, a new desire? Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this account from Jesus' life where he seems to, to, to look out, he seems to look back over his interactions with people and, and just, it's almost like he's overwhelmed at how desperate it is for people, at how much people are hurting, at how much need there is. And while he could have done any number of things to fix that on the spot, his action was to look to us and to tell us to depend on you, to ask for help. He modeled for us what it means to see the need and to do something about it, and he told us how to pray about it. So Father, would you help us to be serious about this prayer? Would you help us to be serious about asking the Lord of the harvest for help? Not only our own help, not only to help our own eyes and our own action, but to help us as a church. Father, would you send us what we need? Would you stir up those of us who are here that we would have a renewed passion for our community? Thank you that the harvest is plentiful. Father, would you 
uh, give us the joy of reaping some of that for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.